0: Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. It's wonderful to be here today with a distinguished guest that has been um, a subject of conversation with many previous guests, actually, when I've been getting to know them. And so it's really an honor to meet him in person. Dr. Michael Blackwell, welcome to Central Line. Thank you. It's fantastic to see you, and um, I'm very excited to talk about all the um, you know all the stuff we have on the docket today. We have some really big questions to talk about, and obviously we're not going to solve the fate of the veterinary world today. But I think um, this is just such a an intriguing topic. We're going to be talking a lot about access to care and spectrum of care, and um, I love that these conversations are coming to the forefront now. So very excited about that. Um, but before we get started, would you mind giving us a little introduction to yourself, who you are? are and what it is you do.
1: Sure. And, and Katie, thank you. Uh, Dr. Dr. Berlin, thank you for, for doing this. Uh, it's important to continue to educate and to share uh, this information because I think most people really appreciate receiving uh, better insights into what is a national uh, crisis. And that yeah. crisis is a uh, lack of access to veterinary care for so many families. I'm a veterinarian. Uh, I've been in this profession my entire life. My dad was the first veterinarian in Southeast Oklahoma, wow. so I've, um, I've seen a lot over the years and have really had a wonderful, wonderful career because I've had the opportunity to do a few things. Currently, I'm director of um, the Program for Pet Health Equity, which, again, is on a mission to improve access to veterinary care. But prior to this work, I served as dean of the veterinary college at the University of Tennessee. And then prior to that, I was chief of staff for the Office of the Surgeon General of the United States and spent 20 years with the Food and Drug Administration. So, uh, varied career, I've I've owned and operated two practices, and uh, let me just say, I feel very, very blessed, very fortunate to have have been on the path I've been on.
0: That is such an intriguing story. Like I feel like we could spend an entire podcast just talking about all the things that you've done and the different aspects of of medicine that you've seen. You know, I'm just um, chief of staff for the Office of the Surgeon General is pretty amazing. Um, that's not something you hear in someone's bio every day no, on this podcast. Not um, but <laughs> yeah, but also just that just shows how interrelated these these things are human health care and veterinary care are inextricably entwined and we just think of them so differently but Mm -hmm. um, as we all know we are better and healthier people for having animals in our lives and um, and that's that speaks a lot to what we're going to be talking about today so um, so I'm really excited but I have to ask you the personal question, because we always start off with a personal question. Uh, I would love to know what the title of your autobiography would be, or at least what the subject of it would be.
1: (laughs) I think um, that title would have to do with um, uh, Servant Leader, Mm. uh, if you would, um, being called um, uh, Maintaining... um, one's bearing on an unfolding path. Um, These are some conceptual (laughs) uh, things that I would try to find a way of wrapping up in a title somehow. But uh, it it would be um, about leadership and about uh, the dynamics of having our lives unfold. We don't know the end from the beginning, in other words, yeah.
0: Yeah, oh, I love that so much, I mean, When I think of someone's autobiography, I think of this is the story of my life, you know, but, and when we talk about veterinary medicine and veterinary care, so much of it seems to be like this desire for control, right? We want to control the outcomes of our cases and we want to offer best medicine every time we can. And we want to um, serve the clients that we know can pay for our services and who want to listen to our recommendations. And unfortunately, it's just not life and things unfold so unpredictably sometimes and we have to really go with the flow i feel like in this profession more than even so more than others and so i love that that that's a theme for you
1: you know Um, this this whole deal about surviving in nature and adaptability mm -hmm. a dynamic world really does demand that we are adaptable Mm -hmm. but that said remaining firm with the core with core values because without those then we are just meandering around and maybe not on a consistent path towards some outcome
0: yeah love that servant leadership too is a big topic of discussion and I feel like in veterinary medicine in terms of culture and management and uh, I really love that too that we're thinking now about leaders being more, um, how can we serve the people that we lead rather than how can we tell them what to do, um, effectively. So, um, yeah, I so many good themes there, and um, that just reinforces the fact that uh, you are somebody who I think is is affecting the veterinary profession in a lot of different and extremely positive ways. And one of them is with align care. And I'd love for us to start off there and have you tell us the story of align care. How was it born? What is it? Um, where did it come from?
1: Yes. <laughs> Well, I sure appreciate the opportunity to to talk about align care. You know, the root word in align care is A L I G N, align. It it literally mm-hmm. is the concept that we are a blessed nation, a nation with lots of resources, lots of capability. We're not a poor nation, but we see many uh, uh, examples of inequality maldistribution of resources and so forth. And just the idea of doing a better job of aligning the resources we have, we can achieve better outcomes. This is uh, the concept behind Align Care. But you know how I got here? I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, The the euthanization of uh, a veteran's uh, best friend. This dog had been injured um, no fault of the dog or the, the veteran, by the way, but um, dog had been injured and um, it resulted in euthanasia. And you know, I grew up in veterinary medicine, as I said a moment ago, so I've been seeing this procedure have to be done over and over and over again. I've done it many times, and I know that we, in order to protect our. Soul, <laughs> our being, we we can rationalize these decisions because, and there are legitimate uh, reasons why that procedure is needed. But on this day, it was all very very wrong, and what made it wrong was watching that man stand there, um, in his pain, and what I actually saw so was someone who had served our nation in a very very special way military service he saw conflict actually in the vietnam war and it just it just struck me that you know what are we doing that those were the very words that came to my mind maybe that's my autobiography title <laughs> what are we doing <laughs> but i i it's a, a good title for today. <laughs> America know. today. What are we doing? <laughs> anyway,
0: I'm sorry.
1: Go on. Here we here we are in the 21st century, because this was around 2010, 2011. At uh, any rate, how do we get to the 21st century? And we're not ensuring health care is available, especially for those who have served our society. And, you know, who do we add to this list? Well, pretty much most public servants. Um, most of whom don't get paid big salaries. Our school teachers would be an example, you know, firefighters, people who literally are giving um, their lives for the benefit of others. So I thought right then and there, no, we can't just continue business as usual, and especially given the trends. And what are those trends? Well, a growing uh, what's traditionally called working class or poor class and a shrinking middle class America. So the challenges are worse today than they were when I had that epiphany, you know. So that's what this work is about. Vulnerable individuals who deserve access to healthcare, whether they're human or non-human. And we have not done the job that's needed on the veterinary medicine side. Lots of programs to take care of the humans not so much for the non-humans in the families.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, that's... I feel like we've all been... Everybody listening probably can identify with how you felt in that situation, just feeling so powerless that this was the decision that had to be made because alternatives didn't exist, and you wanted to give this person their yeah. friend back. Um, and that is... At the core i think of so much of our hard days in this work is that moral distress between knowing that we can help and not being yeah. able to yeah. um and uh and i love that your mind went to how can we solve this problem <laughs> not yeah. poor me poor us mm. but how can we solve this problem for people who really deserve to have access to care for their their animal friends. So Align Care is a program, right, that um, pet owners can qualify for, is that right?
1: Yes, and a uh, couple of key characteristics uh, about Align Care. And we start with the fact that it's a One Health healthcare system. Why One mm-hmm. Health? Well, because the barriers to veterinary care are not caused by the pets or the veterinarians. (laughs) The barriers are related to the pets' people. We're going to leave livestock out of this conversation, if that's okay, and uh, let's just stay focused on the bonded families of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of our households are made up of human, -human, non-human members, and uh, it's our society that says the non-humans are, in fact, family members. And so I... I accept that fully, that that's who we are serving. Now, mind you, it didn't look this way when my dad was in practice. I'm or sure, Or even yeah. in my early career, you know, our society has shifted. So, um, we got to the 21st century still not having sufficient uh, funding options for medical care, for veterinary care. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when you get below $50,000 a year as a household income, you don't find much evidence of utilization of pet health insurance because those policies historically were reimbursement models and you had to have the money up front and then seek to get reimbursed by the company. That doesn't work for so many families in the country. And then when we look at the finance industry, again, we see... um, higher and higher interest rates as the income goes down. And I know they've got their their formulas for or algorithms for how that comes to be. But at some point, some might say some of these loans become somewhat predatory, but certainly places the family in more difficulty. And the reason I bring up those two industries is because of this. We are under... An illusion if we think that people can continue to pay cash for medical care. That's not what happens in human health care, except for a select few wealthy, wealthy people. Most rely on insurance. You just can't, we can't, um, the veterinarians are not exploiting the public. It's the cost of delivering health care, those costs that continue to rise in light of household income being stagnant at best, uh, dropping in many other instances. So I'm under no illusion that we can maintain this cash-basis-only service delivery model. And veterinarians are not the ones to fix this, but we need to be voicing our opinions about this is not sustainable, it's not adequate. We need the other industries to step up and do a better job.
0: That's a great point that veterinarians are not the ones responsible for fixing it but we still have a role to play and that I think is a really fundamental distinction you know we don't have two options which is to fix it find a way to fix it or extend a personal loan or ignore it and only cater to clients who can afford to pay cash yeah. there's a big gray area in the middle and we that's where we all sit and we have a role to play in this for sure
1: yeah that's an important message because you know what, what we humans can do sometimes when the problem is so big and complex like we're talking about? Well, it, it, we can shut down. <laughs> it's just too overwhelming to even get our heads around. Well, yeah, the good news is it's not our problem alone to solve. It's not the problem of animal welfare alone to solve because it's a societal problem. Mm-hmm. those those families that we are failing to reach today actually are not being reached uh, in some other ways. And so in part it reflects the United States um, society and again, the maldistribution of resources that that I mentioned earlier. Um, but here's the other thing, and this is where we do have a role. So you can throw a dart at the United States map, and no matter where that dart lands, there are pretty good insights about the, the disease distribution among the humans in that community. I mean, enough insights such that programs, public health programs, can actually do planning, you know, predict what the needs are going to be over the next five years. You can throw that dart a million times, and no matter where it hits on that U.S. map, those insights are not there. So who should be advocating for and pushing for the collection of data that will enable us to have better insights? Well, I think that's a role that we we should have. It doesn't mean the practices go out and do those studies. It means we add our voices to those who are advocating for such things. We have a strong hmm. voice, but we could use it in some new ways, I think, around these kind of issues.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I had never really thought about that, how much data we have for human health um, in, you know, and the regional differences and, and expectations. And then we just don't have so much of that data for pets, unless a drug company is trying to produce something new, and they want to figure out, you know, how they should be marketing the product, we just don't really have that available to the public. Um, mm. And, veterinarians you probably could throw a dart find a vet clinic anywhere in the u.s. and veterinarians could tell you what they see most often and what they're most concerned about in their area but that data never gets aggregated that's really interesting
1: yeah yeah and that that's bad enough on its own but families are labeled marginalized because we literally don't see them they literally we are not capturing that information so and, and 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 so, we ask. Well, so what? So what? It's oh, it's too bad, you know. And uh, you know, I wish they could be better off. And but it, you know. Yep. They shouldn't yep. have what had can you the plan, do? right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the problem with that is our role, our mission, to prevent and control zoonotic diseases. I mean, no other profession is given that specific charge in yeah. the way that veterinary medicine is and when you overlay that with a bit of uh, increase in global temperature we already know what that it will translate into more vectors further north newly emerging microbes re-emerging microbes Be- and and in this case then we're failing to protect society uh, again it's not because we caused it but maybe in this case, a failure to respond to mm-hmm. to uh, these changes. So we've got to care yeah. about this, not just from a compassion point of view, but a public health point of view, extremely important. So
0: important. Yeah. Um, thank you for that reminder and a good reminder to me also in thinking about that, that there are there's a whole population, multiple populations of pets that vets and vet teams don't ever see, um, or at least don't see often, uh, and that is really a large subject of, of our conversation today because Align Care is designed to try to help those populations, right? Yes. Um, so the clients can um, can apply, and then Align Care reimburses the veterinary. Practice for a certain percentage of the costs of care. Is that right?
1: Yes. And a succinct way to put this is um, just as in human medicine, ultimately, some third party is helping to pay for the care. Mm-hmm. It, it's not rocket science that the same, right. <laughs> same challenge exists with veterinary medicine. So, aligned care is truly subsidized health care. And I want to say, well, quickly, where does that money come from? Well, our intent is to build uh, the capacity for our society to support their families um, through multiple means, not just grants given by animal welfare organizations, but corporate policies such that um, funding starts to show up at the community level to support the families of that community. At the end of the day, in other words, in the exam room, the client has come in and has limited funds the veterinary practice can't stay healthy and give away the whole shop so there's a limit to what the practice can can do and then there, that gap that exists is where a subsidy fits in. Uh, again it's not strange to me because that's exactly what happens in human health care.
0: Yeah. So uh, veterinary clinics elect to participate with Care. Like, is this something that somebody could use at any clinic or the practice has to be registered or agree to accept it?
1: Thank you for that question, and it's more the latter. Um, It is truly a structured approach to improving access to veterinary care. What makes it structured? Well, um, the families that get identified as qualified up to now, qualified families are on public assistance already. Now, mind you, we're not going around the country rounding up all of these pets in these homes and taking them away. And we're also okay. choosing not to ignore them because it's at our own peril if we don't ensure they have access to care Just from a zoonotic disease prevention and control standpoint. So the families are identified as truly demonstrating need. This was important for our for-profit practices because we also asked them to offer a 20% discount. Um, We tested this over an 18-month period and found that families by and large could pay a 20% co-payment. The veterinary practices Uh, that participated in Aligned Care were willing to discount their services by 20%. Um, And then the Aligned Care Fund pays the balance. So just to walk the audience through, a family that is qualified generally shows up at a practice or shelter somewhere needing help. And uh, if that's an Aligned Care community, they know to give that family the contact information so they can get enrolled. It is electronic it's a there's a software platform that uh, the family must work with but if it's an aligned care community we've trained people in the community to assist the family with enrollment it's a simple enrollment takes minutes Mm -hmm. Um, once they're enrolled then they go to the the practice of choice within the community that they live. If there's only one practice, then there's not much of a choice there. But um, now the practices are literally enrolled formally because of the fact there are policies about how they get paid. Uh, There are also policies intending to address um, the fact there are are limited funds. And so gold standard medical care is kind of out of the question doc. It's, we know we all want to offer that, but just as we've always done, when the client does not have the means to pay for everything we want to do, we modify our patient management approach. We modify the treatment plan. Now, that was never called anything until we named it incremental veterinary care, Mm -hmm. meaning the veterinary practices are asked to exercise their their professional judgment and what's most important on that day given the resources they have to work with maybe the client will come back in a month or two for ongoing care so it's incre- it's an incremental approach to managing that patient and that can happen even just for wellness and preventive care it doesn't have to be for an expensive sick or injury um, situation so yeah the practices have to be enrolled um, and and um, because there are those policies that we would like for them to follow. We don't have a bunch of policies because we're trusting the veterinarians to to do the right thing. We, we literally, I literally believe most veterinarians want to help, and they're going to do what they can to make a system work that will help them to reach families that they currently or previously couldn't reach. Um... Other than that, we have partnering organizations, social service agencies, for example. Some exist to do certain missions, but they also contribute to support the families uh, through the co-payment process or even the social work support that the families might need. Um, it's, it's a pretty comprehensive system that accounts for a number of the challenges that we've we were facing. And because of that, people need to find roles. Uh, it needs to be in writing what those roles are. So there's expectation, predictability, consistency, so forth, really structured. That's a long answer, and I'm, I hope I didn't confuse everyone, but please Please ask me more questions to clarify what might have been a bit confusing.
0: <laughs> no, I think it's fantastic. And I've been to the website, the Align Care website, and we'll definitely put that uh, link to that in the show notes for uh, this episode. Um, because I think if, if people are listening and they want to know more about Align Care, they want some more clarity about how they can get involved or have their practice enroll, um, yes. talk about it to clients even, um, then definitely going to that site is seems like a good first step because there's a lot of information there.
1: Um, there is. Uh, there may be, uh, this is an important um, thing to point out, though, for the audience. So, most of the information that one will see is based upon a research project into this healthcare system and um, the policies that we use during the research. We have pivoted now to what we believe to be the sustainable approach, and that means community ownership. Now, right now, Los Angeles, California is the community out in front of others in implementing aligned Care from a community ownership standpoint. Now, what does that mean? A veterinary practice cannot become a provider except that the community has decided to bring, and the community could be small c, it an animal welfare organization, a social service agency, um, those key partners that have decided to at least get started. And then a practice is able to be part of it. Why? Because it's a One Health system. If there's not that piece to take care of the, the humans, then you can't have a line care. You're not aligning anything. You're just providing medical care to pets, which is important. <laughs> But to get beyond where we have been, we needed to make sure it operated as a one health. So practice can want to sign up, but we would be encouraging them to start working with others locally to make sure there's a system in place as opposed to just being able to treat the pets.
0: Right. And as you say, a lot of these pets might not even be brought in for care if the if the family doesn't know that a line care exists because they right either aren't aware of the need for care or they don't feel like they're going to be able to afford it. Um, yeah. And so getting the word out seems like maybe it would reach some people who we otherwise would never even see or yes. know that their pets existed. And yeah. it's so easy to forget about them um, yes. from inside our little bubbles, for sure. Especially well, the guy I've, yeah. I've tended to work in practices that were in areas that were pretty middle class, upper middle class, and so there were plenty of people who could pay their bills. And so we were like, oh, we don't need the rabies only client, or we don't need the client who, you know, just need, can, can only pay for sort of the minimum standard of care. And we didn't have to cater to them, and so it was very easy to make it someone else's problem. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean someone else is actually treating
1: those pets. Well, that's the thing. Um, now a little bit of irony in all of what you just said. We still have a few veterinarians who uh speak badly about nonprofit organizations trying to help. Mm. And it's like, "Doc, well, are you going to help those families? If not, then maybe we want those nonprofits to do what they're doing." Um yeah, I I think it's It's easy for me to understand how we can live, as you say, in our own little bubble. We've got our market. We've got our community that Mm -hmm. we serve. And as it goes right now, can be very busy doing it. Yet there are these families that are not being reached. Now, Our national study found that 28% of the pet owners reported not being able to see a veterinarian in the previous two years because generally it was lack of of funding. Mm -hmm. So um, we ask ourselves, well, where are all the people and the resources to help these families? Well, it turns out they're with for-profit veterinary medical practices. You know, if you line up all the nonprofits and the capacity of the nonprofits from a medical standpoint and you look at our for-profit veterinary medicine industry, there is no question where all the resources are. So Lion Care was built to incentivize and leverage that huge resource of capability. That meant we had to build it, being very sensitive to what it means to be a small business called a veterinary practice. Not a heavy administrative impact, you know, a lot of Mm -hmm. no processing, lots of papers and so forth. And so, um, I guess what I'm saying here, this is where I wanted to land. Yes, we want veterinary practices to recognize that those people are there and they need help. And yes, you don't have to be the one to help them, but there are ways in which you can facilitate that. And if you choose to help, you don't have to take on a burden that's bigger than you you, you can handle. You decide how many of those families you'll help in a year, to what extent because uh, you have to safeguard your own business in in the end. But think of doing something uh, instead of just uh, turning a blind eye. Now, one last thing I'll say about this to our colleagues. In 1970, um, 62% of $0.62 of every dollar, let me put it that way, was in the pocket of the middle class of America. That has decreased such that now only about 43 cents of every dollar is in the pocket of the middle class. And the trend does not appear to be reversing itself. No no indication that that's going to turn around. What does this mean? It means for our industry, uh, even though we've done quite well, increasingly we will we'll continue to see more and more folks show up who are not financially able to do what we've been doing all along Mm because the costs continue to outpace consumers' ability to keep up. To me, that's the biggest threat to our well-being. Yeah. and, And you ask yourself, well, Oh, Maybe it'll work itself out while we go ahead and do what we're doing right now. We don't live in a country where consumers are going to say We're just out of luck. The veterinarians were too busy to save our pets lives. No, I think we are at risk of seeing other groups given authority to do some things that have traditionally been left solely to veterinary medicine to veterinarians. In other words, I spent a long time with regulatory agencies, um, the FDA, and I came to appreciate one thing about why we have regulations. They typically flow out of a failure of some industry or some profession to do something that protects the safety of consumers. And here what we're saying is, not only are people having loved ones who can't have their needs met medically, but we're increasing the threat to the community for lack of prevention and control of diseases. So I'm seeing, I'm ringing an alarm bell with our colleagues, guys. This is we can't we can't just ignore this. It's this not going to take care of itself without us yeah. wanting to help drive that change. If we don't drive it, then we may not like the way it's handled in the end. Um, I just believe that's what's looking us right in the face right now.
0: Yeah, that's very powerful. Um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to, to ask you about during this conversation, we've talked a lot about people who qualify for assistance already, and so they're definitely a population that care can really help. There's pets that we just don't see because they cannot afford to pay for veterinary care at all right now. And then there's the whole big gray area of everybody else who Mm. can't just drop cash for, you know, $8,000 back surgery for their dog, but they need vaccines and their dog gets sick or it's vomited 12 times in the last two days. And suddenly there's met with these expenses they can't they can't cover. And that gray area is what hurts most of us in the heart all day. You yes. know, it, just listening to you, I, I want to help those pets that we will never even see in a vet clinic, like the ones where I've worked, um, that I didn't think about enough, and I don't think about enough, and I mm-hmm. think I'm not alone there. But the ones who are in your exam room, too, and you, can't, you feel like you can't help, and the owners often will lash out because we're the one in there with them. Yeah. Um, and they're just thinking about what that must feel like to be that person in that room.
1: Yeah.
0: and be in this impossible situation and have this animal that you love like a baby and yeah. and you're stuck and you feel powerless i i feel like the discussion that we're having reaches into that area too even though that person may not be helped by a line care because oh, yeah. we are also talking more about um that that incremental care the idea that practicing best medicine or nothing it, are not our two options. And right.
1: It's got to be. There have to become, be more options.
0: <laughs> right. And and we all do that. Like you said, we all do that already. We're all in the exam room, like sort of bargaining with ourselves, with our teams, with the client. Well, maybe if we cut this out today, we could afford this. Or maybe if we outsource this prescription, we could they could put that money towards this procedure. And we all do that. We just... We don't think about that as best medicine, but sometimes in that situation best medicine means what the owner is going to be able to afford and what is likely to help the pet and everybody at least can feel like they're they're able to do something and yeah. that definition of best medicine I think has become a little bit more fluid and I'm really excited to see that happening.
1: It's a relative term to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. we should strive for best medicine quality medical care. Um, But all of those terms exist within a context. Mm -hmm. Everybody is not Bill Gates or Elon Musk or somebody like that. And so when we think of all of society, going back to what we were talking about earlier, well, there is that end of the spectrum where uh, resources are limited. And yet, Personally, I honor the, the right to be in a relationship with a non-human, uh, mm-hmm. especially given the benefits that yeah. the pets afford um, people. So I don't think we are built genetically to be in that exam room repeatedly going through what you just described. I think yeah. it does harm, mm-hmm. um, especially when I'm standing there knowing full well how to help have the knowledge, the skills. It's just right there. But I'm not helping because of money. I, I don't know that we are made up of people who who can be healthy in those uh, in those circumstances, repeated circumstances. There's another alarming uh, fact, that, though, that we need to, um, or at least projection, that we need to factor in here. I've already talked about in whose pocket you find the money, you know, and it went from largely the middle class, two out of three, or, um, you know, two thirds of every dollar is in the middle class pocket. Now it's less than, than half. The millennial generation is the largest generation living with non humans. Mm-hmm. By the way, you know I don't use the word animals very much, I, right?
0: I did notice that, yeah, and I love it. I, I, it's I don't crude. think of my dog as an animal. He's like my, he's just my buddy. You so know? I
1: respect that. I'm respecting a yeah. loving relationship. And if we want to use the word, let's just start calling the humans animals, and let's, you know, let's just group them all in with the mosquitoes and everything else. No these, uh, these relationships are. In fact, very important. And out of respect, I refer to them as non human family members because I didn't make it up. That's what society says about yeah. these individuals. You're so, right. So, the millennials are the largest generation living with non humans. Gen Zs appear to be adopting these relationships in, at the same rate. And yet, millennials are also projected to be the first generation of Americans to not make the income of the previous generation. And I've not heard anybody, I've not read anything or heard anyone say, no, that's changed now. No, all the evidence is still in that that's likely to to happen, and Gen Zs may very well be in the same situation. What does that say? It's saying that these models out of the 20th century called private practices built for a middle class, a thriving middle class with discretionary money. That's all going away. And we don't have to just, you know, fold our tents and say, well, there's nothing to be done. No, we we say, look, in light of these trends, but we've got to be paying attention to that. We have to understand that's the society that we're serving. In light of that, here's some things that we now need to do. And a lot of those are about pushing other industries to do what we need them to do, not us fixing it alone. So that larger group that you characterize who are in those exam rooms as we speak, they need better pet health insurance policies. Mm. Clearly, something is not going well if still we're less than, what, 4% adoption of pet health insurance, and we need better finance models we need something more than what we have uh today and our voices could help drive those changes
0: yeah so powerful dr blackwell and so much um so much food for thought in this conversation Uh, i love that you're you're tackling these hard questions and encouraging us to think about them too, and not to sweep them under the carpet, because that is so easy to do. So I hope that people listening, you know, regardless of what role they're in in the vet hospital, because on this podcast and AHA, we try to see the the team, you know, as a a group of individuals who are all equally powerful in different ways um, in providing vet care. And I feel like this is something that Anybody on the team can advocate for and yeah. can bring up at a staff meeting, or can say, "Hey, did you ever think about this?" Or I heard this really intriguing thing on a podcast today, and just start that conversation. Because if you're not talking about it, how can you possibly help to fix it?
1: Um, you're not so putting I my money on that. our on our colleagues every day to be. I mean, we're problem solvers. Yeah, we we really do know how to work through. A problem and dissemble that problem so that we can then address it it's the same process um, so you unleash the veterinarians uh, if we were to unleash ourselves actually mm-hmm. and and start to approach this I'm really really optimistic that we'll get some great outcomes you know there's some specific things we're debating today mid-level professionals you know mm-hmm. um, there are about 1 million physicians in the country And I've yet to meet someone who believes that 1 million physicians alone can treat 340 million citizens. I like to call it, the math is bad. (laughs) Okay, there's just not enough. (laughs) When you
0: put it that way, it does sound pretty
1: bad. (laughs) Well, Dr. Berlin, we're sitting here with 65,000, I'm using round numbers, of course, 65,000 veterinarians, companion animal veterinarians, and less than 40,000 outlets, practices, seeking to serve more than 200 million dogs and cats. Just dogs and cats. The math is bad.
0: That's very bad math. Very bad. So
1: (laughs) We can do what I saw the physicians do and say, you know, we're going to keep this model going and just see it erode and others making decisions about who's able to provide medical care. And in fact, physicians don't even have authority over it anymore. Or we can say, look, Why go down that road, not knowing where that might end? Let's own this. Let's understand that because we're the only providers of veterinary care today, uh, given authority by states under their practice acts, what can we do now to expand those services so that we don't have consumers over there by the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and even into the millions, and we can't get veterinary care that we're going to appeal to our legislature to, to fix that. Because that's when we start to uh, see ourselves making the same mistakes uh, the, the physicians made here. Um, so we know we have a generation, well, two-thirds of dogs and cats are with two generations, millennials, baby boomers. We are all the income challenge. Okay, That's why the problem is not going to get better, because the baby boomers income is not increasing, it's actually going going down as we retire, and the millennials are not going to reach the level of the previous generation. That's a fundamental structural problem in our delivery of health care, and if, if we don't take the lead in fixing it, I guarantee you, this is the United States, the citizens of this country are not going to just say, well, we'll all die early. We just, nothing can be done about it. That is not going to be the way that will get handled. That's why I'm sounding this alarm bell repeatedly.
0: Yeah, I love it, and I love how passionate you are about that and about advocating for change that we can all have a role in affecting. So, um Dr. Blackwell, thank you so much. I could stay on here with you all day because I have so many more things I'd love to talk to you about. Um, but I think you planting that seed of thought in my head in our listeners' heads, um, hopefully, you know, some of the people listening will help push that, you know, move that needle a little bit further. And that's how we're going to get there. I really do. I mm-hmm. agree with you. I feel optimistic now, too, after talking to you.
1: Well, so, thank you for that. I will um, say this to your audience, uh, Los Angeles is not a, not the only city where veterinarians are the reason line Care is a topic, is being discussed. And so if any veterinarian wants to reach out to us to get more information, we'd love to have that conversation, brief anybody, starting with two people, one person. Uh, brief them about this system and the way that works is if those two people or one person believes it's got some validity, then invite uh, some key other people in for briefing and then ultimately a group decides if they want to bring Align Care into that community. It's plug and play and uh, generally not hard to follow once uh, we lay it out uh, for for those who are interested. I
0: love it and to learn more about Align Care, uh, what can you tell us what the website is?
1: So I would direct uh, folks to go to uh, pphe, that's Paul, Paul, Henry, Edward, dot utk, dot edu. So that's Program for Pet Health Equity is what the acronym stands for. University of Tennessee-Knoxville Education, pphe.utk.edu. Now, that is our primary university website. There's an Align Care website. It's primarily uh, for um, uh, those who are trying to register but also to donate, and that would be uh, AlignCareHealth.org, O-R-G. All right.
0: Wonderful. And we'll put those links in the show notes too. Thank so, you. Dr. Blackwell, thank you so much again. This has been a great pleasure. And um, I hope we'll get to talk to you again soon uh, in some capacity at AHA. I'm sure our paths will cross again. Thank you again so much.
1: Well, thank you for keeping the word alive, spreading the messages. Very, very important that we have folks like you doing that.
0: Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.